0: yet you got your hands dirty
1: and I still do I, I, I appreciate it it's one of the most important things to, to learn in, in this business is you have to see and feel how things work by by doing and, and testing and failing and breaking oh yeah trying
0: If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of failure? Does the fear of failure trick you into believing that perhaps perfection is the goal? Does fear prevent you from starting something? Why do people have great ideas, but they do nothing with them? I'd like to introduce today's episode as something that, although... What you will hear was a bit of a failure at the time. It was simply the first attempt. And I thought it would be important to show all of you an example for what attempt number one might look like. And to encourage you to keep trying at whatever it is you have a vision for. So what I'm going to play for you, what you are about to hear, is... Podcast episode number one, four years in the making. This is podcast episode number one that was never released. Why? Because it, I guess it didn't meet my expectations. I, maybe I was embarrassed. Perhaps I was even scared. Actually, yes, I was scared. I was scared of what other people might think. Those other people being you. And sometimes, not only are we afraid to fail, it's actually we are, we're afraid of being seen failing. So think about that. It's not missing the shot that is scary. It is being seen missing the shot that is scary. So in this episode, this episode is, I guess it's for me. It's my turn to be seen missing the shot. Even though this was my very first shot, first one, first time I'd ever put the ball in my hands and tried to make the shot, I was too afraid to play it. So I'm going to lean into that fear and I'm going to play my first attempt with you. Thankfully, these Other two gentlemen on the podcast are some of my closest friends. You will hear Chris Wright, VP of Sales from Baseline, and Paul Bassett from Envocore. This episode was recorded in January of 2019 before I knew anything about podcasting. And this was just, I was just experimenting. Got a microphone, went out to Utah. Paul came with me to go skiing. One night, we put the microphone on the table clinked our beers together, and had a conversation. And that was my first shot of trying to record something. So the audio may not be perfect. Actually, it's not perfect. That's the point. That's why I'm playing this for you, because this is my first shot. And I think that, let's see, before I jump into it, I have two thoughts that I want to encourage you to embrace. Number one is the, con- the concept of trying and number two is to think about what would happen if you were to frame life as an experiment. How can you fail if this is just an experiment? And uh, my friend Paul sent me a great text this morning, and I it, it kind of encouraged me, thank you, Paul, to put this episode out, because what, what this... Um, what this concept is, is it's essentially the, the steps to innovation. How do you innovate? What are the steps to innovation? Step number one, try. Okay, so my first podcast episode, I did step number one, I tried. Tried. <laughs> step number two, try again. Step number three, try once more. Step number four, try a little differently. Step number five, try it again tomorrow. Step number six try and ask for some help. Step number seven, try to find someone who can help. Step number eight, try to fix what is not working. Step number nine, try to expand what is working. Step number 10, just keep trying. (laughs) It actually says just keep trying until you succeed And I don't think – I don't actually believe that one because there kind of is no – there actually is no success because you can't – it's very hard to define success other than through your own lens. So just keep trying. As soon as you think you succeeded, go back uh, to step number four and try it a little differently and see what happens. So – that is, uh, you know, the concept number one, keep trying. Whatever it is that you do, whether you want to put this into your business practice, you want to put this into your marriage, your relationship with your kids, a project you're working on, an invention, it, whatever it is, the concept of trying. Just try it. Number two is to frame life as an experiment. And I was thinking this morning – kind of in a funny way about Forrest Gump and how he says, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get or or something like that. And oftentimes I think that similarly, life is often just a big experiment. And it's kind of like a a perspective that holds profound truth. If you think of it like an experiment, life is filled with hypotheses and you try things, errors, failures, failures results. And each phase is kind of a critical component of the journey, the journey being an experiment. You are in the science lab every day, trying, learning, discovering, and, and that's the process. And so this analogy, I think, um, you know, thinking of life as a, as a vast experiment, just kind of mirrors our own experiences where each attempt, each try, and each try and try again becomes a stepping stone to sort of unforeseen outcomes and lessons. And so that's my intro here. We're gonna, I'm going to play episode number one, and that's it. I'm not even going to preface it with be nice to me, be nice to Paul, to Chris. I'm just going to play it so that you can hear attempt number one so that maybe it will empower you to try something new, put it out there in the world, and don't be afraid to try. So here we go. Today's episode, podcast number one. Hey, Paul. Hey, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Cheers, guys. Excellent. Cheers. Cheers. Awesome to have you guys with us today. wanted to take uh, this episode to talk about technology in the irrigation industry and all of us come come to technology from a little bit different perspective and so I thought we could just talk about where technology's been, where it is, some of the um, strengths, weaknesses, um, problems that are out there and uh, you know just kind of kick it off everything technology and irrigation related. So Paul why don't you tell us a little bit about Your background
1: in the irrigation industry. So I got in the irrigation industry before it was any technology. 31 years ago, Drew. Remember that? You were like eight back then. (laughs) True, true.
0: Paul was my first, uh, one of my first boss, first mentor, still mentor today.
1: More of a coach than a boss, but yes, we appreciate that. I remember... Back when I first started in the irrigation business back in 1988, as a matter of fact. And the first project I ever got into was a Holiday Inn on the Interstate Route 1, Andy, and 175, right by the Enviro Center. I don't know if you remember that. And for those of you listening, that is in
0: Jessup in Baltimore, Maryland. Forgot, we were... We were, if you can't uh, tell by Paul's voice, he's <clears throat> from Baltimore.
1: I'm from Baltimore, yes. Balmer. <laughs> Balmer, as we say it back in the day. I sat in a valve box, digging a hole, replacing valves on the side of Route 175. And was enamored at all the pipes and the wires and the dirt and the soil. And was wondering, is this for me? In retrospect, now 31 years later, I am unequivocally <laughs> have more gratitude Man, in my and, life. Man, and you
0: are one of the leading professionals in this space, and yet you got your hands dirty.
1: And I still do. I, I appreciate it. It's one of the most important things to, to learn in, in this business is you have to see and feel how things work by, by doing and, and testing and failing and breaking Oh, yeah.
2: Trying. Yeah. Things right. happen in the field that you would never imagine from an engineer's perspective when you're designing the product, right? can't account for
0: field anomalies that happen. So, Chris, uh, we've got Chris Wright. He's the VP of sales for baseline controls. When did you get into the irrigation industry? Uh, I got into the industry in
2: 1997, going to work for Rainbird as a contractor specialist in Utah, and have been uh, involved in several different capacities since then, including working for Weathermatic for a time, uh, was part of the team that brought the MP Rotator to market through Walla Walla Sprinkler Company, was eventually sold to... Uh, Hunter Industries, Uh, went to work for a distributor as a water conservation advisor for the western United States, and then uh, came to Baseline eight years ago. Awesome.
0: Gosh, man, so between the three of us, there is almost 50 years of irrigation knowledge. Because Paul's got half of it. He's got 30. (laughs) 31 now this year. Right, and so that is from... Contractors, because I work for a contractor. Paul's worked for a contractor. I don't think you didn't. No. Right? So we've got contractor um, experience, Rainbird experience, MP rotator experience, um, distribution experience. I worked for Netafim and a distributor and baseline. Uh, irrigation consulting experience, um, performance-based contracting experience. Yeah. It's pretty
1: insane. Well, I've been around the block a few times a lot of knowledge for sure sitting yes. around the microphone today
0: <laughs> we can all just be geeky with ourselves sometimes we just you know it's like we talk and we're the only ones that know what we do and understand what we do and we just laugh at ourselves you know
1: I wanted to I wanted to share with you guys too that um, you know one of the newer technologies that, that is out there and I don't know if, if you've been exposed to it yet Andy is the the new ultrasonic flow sensor hmm. A little bit. That's what, who who makes it. Um, Netifin makes one. Not I know they make that one. Flowmac. Flowmac, but it's they were new, the they were the new product contest yes, winner of yes. the I A show this year. I just put one of those in at the house to test it. I haven't had to test it yet because we're still in freezing conditions. Mm-hmm. But I'm sort of excited to see really what that does. I mean, it, it really changes the. So, what is the advantage of the ultrasonic sensor? It Why? Measures the lowest flows in a piping system, where in, in the past, if if say you had a two inch um, service line and two inch impeller, um, it would not pick up below five gallons a minute. So if you had a leak at two or three gallons a minute, you would never it would never be picked up. Right. So now these things can pick up the lowest flows at quarter gallon a minute even at a two inch yeah and
2: any size, you've got a much broader range of flow resolution and then the accuracy of that flow resolution is much higher with ultrasonic than it is with an impeller
1: so i haven't really <clears throat> seen the values of that yet because i haven't had the chance to run my system because i live in maryland and it's still cold and freezing so right i'm super excited at the end of the day to test it and See yeah. the resolution.
2: Well, and I think the real advantage to that kind of technology coming to our industry is that the control technology itself is advancing to the point where it is able to um, see that resolution and respond to it in a way that it hasn't been able to before.
0: So, do you think? Um, do you think the customers want that type of resolution? Is that, you know, so in the past, if would somebody look at the recordings, the data off of an impeller flow sensor and think they weren't accurate or wonder why they were reading the way they were? If they had a two gallon a minute leak and a manufacturer wasn't picking it up, would they pl- place blame on the manufacturer? You don't know what you don't what know. You don't know what you
2: don't so know. So true, Chris. So Previously, true. it was, you know, what was coming off an impeller flow sensor was what was actually happening because there wasn't any other known measurement that could be measured against. So now that that uh, data is available, whether or not the end user is uh, qualified
0: to interpret it and utilize it the right way has yet to be determined.
1: So you're opening new doors, essentially, unlocking Absolutely. new data sets that were available. Raises
2: the bar for water management.
1: Well, and I think what what I've seen is if you're trying to analyze water consumption in a utility meter going into a facility and you're doing a water balance and you're trying to balance all of the outputs on a main meter and and you look at it and go, I'm missing a million or two or three million gallons that I can't account for. Have you seen that before where you're missing a million gallons? More than a million, yeah. So you know when we try to water balance. So what, what's
0: it? What, tell me, tell us about a system where you'd be missing a million gallons. What does that look like? How is that possible? So
1: what happens is you know when you when you get a utility bill for the year and you analyze it and then you go and audit the, uh, a water system and you look at the toilets and you look at the showers and the urinals and the irrigation and you determine how much water is supposed to be going through all of them and you you balance it based on the utility bill and the utility bill says. I've used fifty million, but I've only accounted for 45 million: You're just
0: like a check and a balance. The bill says x, and you're trying to validate where where did that water go
1: and potentially, if you go and you look at an irrigation system that might have a flow sensor that has an old impeller technology and it never detected a two or three or five gallon a minute leak, I mean you know a one gallon a minute leak is five hundred thousand gallons a year right right so if you got a four gallon a minute leak you have a couple million gallons that you you can't account for Mm -hmm, right right so that's really where the granularity comes into is that you can now account for those smaller leaks that really do add up over time right
2: and as Mm -hmm. water sourcing becomes more finite and more expensive having that kind of resolution is um, more important as you're looking to manage the resource you know, it's interesting because it, I recall a statement um, that was made by uh, Bob Rupar when I was working for MP Rotator, when he was in a conversation with a specifier, and the specifier was asking him why, if this technology was so revolutionary, it wasn't available before, and his response stuck with me, and he said that it It didn't exist before because the technology to manufacture to this tolerance didn't exist before, Mm -hmm. right? So as technology advances and we become more sophisticated in what we're able to do, with technology from not only a coding perspective, but also from a manufacturing perspective,
0: it's just raising the bar. Yeah, it's not really a why didn't I think of this of before? Products, Even right? if you thought of it, you, you couldn't it produce just wasn't it. Possible. So, one innovation, meaning manufacturing innovation, then can lead to yeah. something in our industry exactly. like the precision of a high efficiency device. Correct.
1: Yeah, because ultrasonic meters have been out for quite some time. But they haven't been able to be produced to a level where it's been cost yeah. effective in our industry. Correct. In the, that. So, how would we type?
0: describe an ultrasonic sensor for someone who's never heard of an ultrasonic sensor? Uh, Not that where any of us are engineers here can describe uh, it in an engineering right. manner, but right. So, it, why don't we just talk? Why don't we talk so about a how traditional, a traditional meter
2: f- f- Traditional flow sensor has an impeller that is in touch with the flow of water going through the pipe. That turns. Like a curves, paddle like wheel. Like a paddle wheel and it produces a pulse and you'd connect a device to it and count the pulses and then you are able to interpret that data to see how much flow is going through that pipe based on the number of pulses generated from that paddle wheel. So an ultrasonic is different. So it requires a
0: physical uh, uh, connection between the paddle wheel and the water, water flow. And mechanical, mechanical
1: wheel in the water. Correct yes yep. as the water flows past it yep so
2: ultrasonic is using technology so that there is no interruption of flow there's no friction loss it's just straight through flow design and it's sending a pulse into that flow of water and is able to determine through the ultrasound micropos-
1: processor inside of chipset
2: technology to see what the flow is
1: and it can it can measure the flow down to yeah. a quarter gallon even at highest pipe size six inch yeah.
0: any movement of that water will be
1: Measured Measuring. by that ultrasonic, it's like it's going through a force field.
0: Force field, yeah. yeah. It's like Star Wars. Like an extra, it's like an X-ray yeah.
1: machine or, or something yeah, exactly. like that,
0: right? Yeah, not X-ray. It would be, but an ultrasonic. Yeah, got it. I don't know exactly <laughs> how it works, but then that's it must the way uh, I compute
1: I it to it. a pulse. Yep. That's correct. It, it extrapolates that information to an output of what the irrigation controller can then decipher as flow rate mm-hmm. gallons per minute. Down to the lowest flow, and which I, I appreciate, yeah. Because you know what I've seen in my career is, you know, the the even a two and three and four gallon per minute leaks are, you know, significant cost savings when you can identify what they are and where they are and sure. and, and get to that level of, of preciseness. Right. So so um
0: as it relates to control is water is measuring monitoring and metering the water the most important part
1: to. True the water Control management. system and water management.
2: Um, yes. Yeah, yes.
1: Absolutely. The data is the data and you got to have that measurement tool. Yeah. And
2: Paul's perception of how valuable that capability is may be different from a landscape designer or an irrigation designer's perspective because that ability to be able to read or see and measure a broader range of flow through a larger size pipe helps them to uh, design the system so the hydraulics perform better, which ultimately emits the water more efficiently, which will ultimately lead to better water water management capabilities and conservation objectives.
1: Well, what I found in irrigation systems is you have a huge range of water flows that occur <laughs> in a <city>. system. <laughs> In the system, especially when you have drip irrigation system tied with, you know, rotors.
2: <laughs> We're laughing because Cooper. We got maybe, a dog in the house. Cooper came the in called The baseline mascot was just coughing on <laughs> <up> the log.
1: <lung. laughs> Bulldogs are great. But when you try to deploy multiple zones... At a specific time, right?
0: At the same time, run them concurrently? Is run, that what you mean? Run
1: a drip zone and a spray zone and a rotor zone to maximize your capacity of your mainline. Um, you need to be able to detect when a, a low flow leak occurs. Mm-hmm. And and you can't do that in a paddle wheel or a positive displacement meter situation. Right. So it's more accuracy,
0: better performance. Better data logging. How does that correspond to a uh, say a, uh, a professional irrigator or another professional service company uh, making money, providing a business and a service? How do you use that? Well,
1: it, it allows you mainly in the commercial setting, but it could be in in a, in a in a residential setting too. Is you know when and we see it all the time when a, a break occurs or a valve sticks open. The system still operates and runs. And, and so you have multiple valves running at a time, and the distribution uniformity is poor because of you have a, a leak or a valve running. Well, these will now can detect that that flow excess of flow has occurred, and it will now then send a signal to the control system to identify that there's a problem, more precisely. So thinking about
0: your business and how you uh, work with your clients, manage the water, provide your clients with data um, and services, how, how often are you looking at the meter data? And do you look at it or do you wait to get an alarm? How do you use the data in your business? It's a
1: daily – it's it's what we call the, the morning coffee analysis. Um, I like that. It's the first mm-hmm. thing in the morning when we – brew the coffee and you you pull up the reports. So
0: just you, like somebody might pull up a uh, financial report or a sales report or a labor report, you're pulling up water use report first thing in the morning over your coffee single day. And how is, many sites do you look at?
1: I look at every site that I'm am, am responsible for the water on that site every single day. It's and then critical.
0: How do you know if it's a good day and you're going to have a great day? Because the data is good, or if it's going to be a bad day, and it's true. I mean, you,
1: you you look at the day, the data from the day before, and you look at the data from today, and you determine did we s- use less water yesterday than we did today? Of course, it's going to change because some days the weather is going to. Uh, How do you determine
0: well. the uh, the threshold, the, the baseline data that you are monitoring from one day to the other?
1: It's a, it's a great question, Andy. Um, it. It's certainly established through historical consumption, and you look at last year's data from that day um, to today, and then the same thing as you look at it tomorrow. Right. What did it, what do we use last year on that day, and what do we use the same day, you know, this year to determine where our percentage is up or down, and that's all going to be evaluated based on evapotranspiration and rainfall. So there's variables okay. that so you that- take
0: a number. And you want the number to be repeatable, but you're going to adjust it up or down based on the weather this year versus
1: last year. That's correct. It's critical. Okay. And it is. It's about what what we established as the baseline consumption of water. Perfect.
0: It's kind of crazy. We're getting into the data weeds.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's interesting to note that there's, you know, effort being... Uh, put into a, a visual or uh, manual type uh, evaluation of water use on a daily basis
0: so what what
2: what um, can automate that
0: so out of all the irrigation systems that are out there you got mostly residential systems in terms of number of let's say controllers out there and number of sprinklers but of all the systems residential commercial municipality institutional what percentage if you had to guess have a our Metered. What percent are, are, is the system recording the water usage? Probably way less than half. Like it's what I've seen. I, less than ten percent, I would think. Like how many homes?
1: Well, I think monitor the water use true. through the control system. You, you're right. Probably one
0: percent.
2: Highly regional, but on a residential level, it's you're probably right. Yeah, but less than I think the one percent. The, the focus is on the large water users versus the. Uh, residential users uh, to discover where true savings could be captured in conservation. So I think when what we're sort, sort of, you've been
0: talking about metering water, water this whole time, mm-hmm. and I think that, like you said, metering, metering, measuring, and monitoring the water is likely the most important aspect of an irrigation control system. And so it sounds like there's going to be a lot more metering happening if no residential systems have metering. Will will there be a time when every residential system has a water meter I, on the irrigation system specifically that's being monitored?
2: Again, I think it's regionally because there's already areas in California where that's a requirement. So any new irrigation system that goes in needs to be installed with a smart controller with a flow sensor associated with it, whether it's residential or commercial.
0: Right, and then maybe will there be a, maybe there needs to be a standard just because you have a flow sensor? Not all flow sensors. Or even okay. create it equal sure. or record the right amount of information or report the necessary data that's needed to make a decision.
2: True, which brings into context the advancement of technology as it relates to the industry and the uh, um, quality of data that you get from the new technology that didn't exist before
1: And I think, too, what happens is the cost of water is really attributable to the technology. When water costs are low, people really don't care so much about the flow data and the information. But even when
0: we say low, it's also in perspective because a residential home, let's say, in Michigan, you could have a water bill that's over $100 for that month. that wasn't there the month before when there was no irrigation system so true. on. So true. And it might only be $100, but when you get that bill, you go, God dang, $100. And maybe it only needed to run half the amount of time that was actually running because it wasn't programmed correctly. That if there was a way that on a daily basis, you knew your spend on water you might decide to either so get true. out your phone that's and it. make a decision, or go to the garage and yeah, turn the That is but very true. It's a, it's the a, daily dollar. I like, like a, it. I mean,
1: that's what I I've know. But it's the
0: daily dollar. Price.
2: Think about it. What's the cost of your daily latte? Right. Yeah, but you go maybe, to Starbucks you what, and you're paying you're paying over five dollars for a grande hurts, latte. And the, it hurts much more. I get my water bill and I'm paying $3 and I think 60-something cents per thousand gallons,
1: it, it, right? But, it, but it's different when it's water and energy. I think. No, no, real yeah, dollars.
2: What, this
0: whole for I know,
2: but what, what's the real cost of our – or I, the real benefit or the real value of our water resource that gets taken for granted?
1: I know. When yeah, and I that's, get,
2: that brings up the whole discussion too of, of the – You know, cost of water is not high enough to make people care, nor is the cost of water high enough to make those that manage the water resource in a landscape irrigation application care enough to understand and learn the technology that's available to help conserve that water resource. And I think that is a completely different discussion, which we've touched
0: on today but the water agency is likely cost maximizing the cost of water right now so they get the high they, get yes. the, they can make the most amount of money it's based already, on cost and volume it's already so, been
2: shown that you know you know these water districts they implement these uh, conservation programs and rebates and you know cash for grass and all that to save water and then all of a sudden they're saving so much water they're not making money on selling any water and then they're like, oh, Got to raise the price. Got to raise the price or we got to stop our conservation efforts because we're not making money anymore as a water agency. We're not able, able to cover our our expenses associated with the organization. So it's all just right. –
0: it's all big business.
1: Well, they, they, they have to increase their their rate of the water is what I've seen um, because they The more you
0: save, the more the price is going to have to go up. It has to go so up. So it's a self-fulfilling – raise in price. Right.
2: And it's gotta be a you know common Unless there's just no water. Across the users, across the uh, purveyors, across the, you know, manufacturers of technology that manage it, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's gotta be a holistic approach that is difficult to orchestrate.
1: Well here's what I've learned, guys, is I now have a device on my water meter that I can measure every gallon, every minute, every day. And what I see throughout the day is I, I, I can know when a toilet gets flushed in the house. And I know when the dishwasher runs. And I see when the shower runs. And I see when the irrigation turns on and turns off. But I also see, and I saw, when the toilet valve stuck, stuck on. Right? Yep.
2: So is the data changing your behavior? It ha-
1: it's tremendously changing my behavior because now I-, I see when that toilet valve stuck on for eight hours and it was running for five gallons a minute and it consumed a thousand gallons and that actually cost me <clears throat> 12 bucks. Yes, in theory, Chris, yeah, it was a couple lattes. But, what- but for me, I-, I know what my fixed costs are a, a month. In electric and water, and you know that's how I budget. You know those things, and when it goes out of that, you know it kind of disturbs me that I don't want to pay that. So I want to. It empowers me to want to change. Interesting. Yep. Right. So I think for me terms of lifestyle because
0: you choice. know if you don't right? know you don't know, but now you know.
1: And we right. what what I think we see <laughs> is true.
0: Yeah, it sounded like a rap song. Or
1: <laughs> But really, and and I thought of this, gosh, probably 10 years ago or more, is that really what we need to do is is give the homeowners more insight into really what they're using in a daily basis in their water. Yeah. So they can decide. But they so don't have that. Here's the question, right? So the reason why I'm
2: willing to pay $5 for a latte... At Starbucks or any other coffee house is because when I go in, I'm looking for the experience, right? There's something about that experience of going into the coffee house, laying down $5, getting a 16 ounce cup of coffee that makes me feel like I'm experiencing something uh, uh, beneficial in my day, right? So, how do we turn water conservation and um,
1: into the Steward, experience.
2: stewardship of the water resource, into some experience that's compelling. It's the daily right?
0: coffee, maybe it could be, it's a know. daily water consumption. Right?
1: You put a little module on the refrigerator that shows everyone in the household and if what you think we about used it, in water if yesterday. You think about it,
2: it. You look at what Apple has done recently with their report that you get on your phone that tells you what your, screen your weekly time, screen, time screen time is, right? Because they know you were down, so they're making it a you're lifestyle. Down. Thing making you
1: aware of how much water you're using and whether that's a good thing. So or then we, a we apply time. a little application Drew, to everybody's phone in <laughs> the family that they all have <laughs> access to, and they now can look what do we use in water yesterday? Yeah. What do we use today?
2: What's our what household water consumption compared to? to
1: John's household next door? And are you more efficient than they are? Right. That's the key. Whether it's irrigation or water. Well, Ness
2: or- does that, right? With their thermostat, it gives you a monthly report that tells you how you compare to other nesters in your area, right? and whether or not you're running your furnace. Well, then now we we know the
1: next
0: business, guys. There it is. So you got to have the water meter or sensor to record the data, and then you got to have a system. It doesn't have to be a controller. You got to have a system to report the data back to the cloud to have a device that can produce the data, the reports. Yeah. Or a combination of both, where you replace you add a you add a sensor and replace the control system.
1: Or it could be one or the other or we can then clone the existing. So why what's preventing in? Nest
0: from just adding a water sensor and then it goes into their report? They're already producing the report. They just gotta add more Dries. sensor devices. Sure. Well,
2: beautiful. Right? As home automation becomes more prevalent and integrations and open APIs become uh, more commonplace in technology
1: development, you'll see more and more of that. I mean, it's our turn. I mean, we're, it's 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 ripe for us to take our experience and knowledge to integrate into home automation and change the way people look and feel and touch water.
2: Yeah, yeah. awesome. Well, I've always said that Tuesday night at eight PM is a shitty reason to water. <laughs> <laughs> you have? Yeah, that was it you clone that? (laughs) Just just because it's on the program on the controller doesn't mean it's time to water.
0: (laughs) Unless that's the only time available. Otherwise, it should be watering when it's time to water. Exactly. Not when the clock says it's time to water. Right. Right. Awesome. Very insightful stuff, guys. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. You're wonderful. My best bros. Cheers. Cheers.